You're listening to Food Psych, a podcast about nutrition, eating disorders, and body image. I'm your host, Christy Harrison, and I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist and certified intuitive eating counselor specializing in health at every size. Join me as I talk with interesting people from all walks of life about their relationships to food. Hey guys, welcome back to Food Psych. This is our season premiere of our fourth season, and I'm so happy to be back with you guys. We have a really fantastic guest for you today. Julie Duffy Dillon is my guest. Um, she is the host of another podcast in this eating disorder recovery and body positive space. It's called the Love Food Podcast, and if you're not already listening, you definitely should be. It's really fantastic. Um, and I was a guest on Julie's podcast a few months ago, and now she is a guest on my podcast, and we had a great conversation about her whole history um, and her relationship with food and sort of what led her into working with eating disorders and intuitive eating, because it's a little bit different than the usual story um, of the guests I have on the podcast. And we also got into some interesting stuff about her body image and how um, having kids and struggling to get pregnant affected her body image even after she was working as a body positive dietitian. So it's a super interesting conversation. And she's a fabulous guest. And I can't wait to share our conversation in just a minute. Today, we're sponsored by my intuitive eating online course, which you can find at christyharrison.com slash course. It's a 13-week course to help you learn to make peace with food, love your body, and trust its intuition around what to eat and how to move. So not only do I focus on all the principles of intuitive eating and really unpacking those and helping you put them into practice in your life, but I also get into intuitive movement or exercise from an intuitive place, um, as well as just sort of general stuff about life as an intuitive eater and what that looks like and how you can keep up your intuitive eating practice even in the midst of this diet culture that we're surrounded with all the time. So it's great for troubleshooting. You know, if you've ever tried intuitive eating before and didn't get very far or mastered some of the principles but not others, if you're still struggling to work through the intuitive eating principles, I highly recommend taking this course because it really helps get into some of the things that trip people up in intuitive eating and gives you a lot of support along the way. So I have a monthly Q&A podcast where I answer listener questions about anything that comes up in the course, and that is exclusive to the course participants. Um, and then I also have those 13 modules that I mentioned. They all have audio lectures associated with them. And then there are also interactive journal exercises, audio meditations, and written content and visual infographics as well to help you really internalize the information. So it's a really great course, and I've had such great feedback from the people who've taken it so far. We've had about 100 people go through the course now, and I'm just about to relaunch the course with some tweaks and additions. So thus far, the course has been all self-paced with the Q&A podcast as sort of the main way to interact with me. But uh, I'm not quite ready to announce all the changes yet, but the changes are coming, and they're coming pretty soon. So by late September, early October, I'm expecting to announce some big changes to the course and launch it at a couple new levels, and there's going to be an option to do the course with some individual help from me as well. So if you want to get in on that, definitely 
take advantage of the special price that we're doing right now because the course is still available at the introductory price for only a few more weeks. And after that, it's going to go up in price. But if you buy now, you'll have lifetime access to the course, including all the changes we're going to be making in the next month or so. So it really benefits you to buy now and get in there early because you'll have lifetime access to all the future improvements. So to check out the course, learn more about it, and join for yourself, go to christyharrison.com slash course. That's christyharrison.com slash course. And then the other way you guys can support the podcast is totally free, and that is by leaving a great rating and review on iTunes. Those reviews mean so much to me, and I can't tell you how many of those have made my day because I have a little email alert that pops up whenever someone submits a new iTunes review. So, you know, sometimes I'll like wake up in the morning and be super groggy and not want to get out of bed. And then I check my email and I see a really lovely positive review from someone, and it makes me just excited to start my day. So those nice reviews really do mean a lot to me. And I appreciate how much you guys are resonating with the podcast. Um, So if you want to leave a review on iTunes, you can go to iTunes from your computer, type in food psych to the search bar, click the result that comes up under podcasts, and then click to the tab that says ratings and reviews. And there you can leave us a review. Please do a five star. Just kidding. You can do whatever you want, but love those five-star reviews and then type in your review as well. I guess the stars are the ratings and the the words are the review. I think that's how it goes. So yeah, leave us a rating, which is hopefully five stars, and then type in your review. And now, without any further ado, let's go talk to Julie Duffy Dillon. I spoke with her via Skype from her home in North Carolina. So tell me about your relationship with food growing up. Well, my relationship with food was pretty neutral and positive. And when I think about early eating experiences, I remember just really enjoyable moments with food and connecting to people in my family that are no longer alive and having really fun times with food. You know, something that I'm pretty aware of at this point is I I did have a unique experience with food because no one was dieting that I was aware of. And the way that food was taught to me was to be really functional and fun. But also everyone in my family, we've experienced these genetic kind of privileges where we're all very thin. Mm -hmm. And so no, I didn't witness anyone in my household growing up struggling with being in a larger body. And, um, there wasn't there just wasn't a lot of body conversations going on. Wow. Yeah, so it was really different in that way. I didn't really realize how weird that was until I went to college and experienced living in a dorm and then studying nutrition and saw how that was like that was really unique. But you know, something that um being, you know, all of us were really thin in my in my family and um the one thing that kind of I picked up on probably later in high school, I, my awareness was just so nil. It, cra- it cracks me up. And <laughs> probably in um, high school, I realized um, my body was a lot smaller than most people. And it started to be something that people noticed. And I didn't like it. I had a lot of anxiety. I have an anxiety disorder. So it made me feel more uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And it was... Um, it did lead to shame in a, in a kind of a weird way, I guess, because it was... I just it made my anxiety feel worse. Mm-hmm. So like one thing I scrutiny from other people. 
Yeah, yeah. And it led to some really interesting body image experiences where I did have like a negative body image. And I started to connect with food being, well, food maybe could help me Mm -hmm. to be more normal. But it never really went very far. Mm. <laughs> you know, I don't think, I don't think, um, I don't know if it was the anxiety or what, but it just never really became something that I actually like manipulated, you know, uh, or I did, I just didn't feel motivated to do that, you know, and so, yeah. Your, so- your family's kind of like the base they created in your home kind of helped with that. Like you had that to come back to that sort of sense of confidence in your body and um, lack of desire to change it or. You know, I think there was just not any benefit or negative to having a body shape being different, you know, Mm -hmm. so it wouldn't have been really rewarded. And I think the only place that I really noticed that my body was weird was in social situations in my peer group. Mm -hmm. And so at at home, I looked like everybody else at home. (laughs) So, you know, um, so I think in the end, it just, it, I never really um, was like, oh, I need to eat more or I need to do something different with my food in order mm-hmm. to look more normal. Um, but yeah, when I really think about my memories with food, it's those are the only things that stick out as like wanting to um, manipulate it in any way. And for the most part, I mean, I, if I had to like quantify it, it's like 80 to 90 percent of my memories with food are really warm and fuzzy until probably I started studying nutrition. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. I know. Oh. So what, yeah. what uh, drew you to study nutrition when you first decided to do that? Well, there was a couple of different reasons. And the reason that I put on my college application <laughs> was uh, I was um, becoming quite um, idealistic. And, you know, I've always had this kind of like ethical side of me and re- a passion for those who are marginalized or mm-hmm. species that are marginalized. And so I became vegetarian. Mm-hmm. And um, I was vegetarian probably in high school through grad school. And and so when I did that, I was um, – I remember researching nutrition because my parents were like, okay, if you're going to do this, that's fine. But like, you know, you, you basically need to like make some of your own food then. Mm. <laughs> and, um, and it's funny because like I know we were just talking about relationship with food. I still thought of food as like fun and stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. I still had like um, – I don't know. It wasn't a an experience where I thought like meat was bad. I was just like, oh, those poor animals, mm-hmm. you know. And um, so yeah, anyway, and it's, a, it's rare to have that sort of pure um, coming to it. Also, like yeah, as, yeah. As a, especially a young adult, you know. Or exactly. Yeah, and I. I've asked my parents, I'm like, you know, the, I had a lot of red flags for an eating disorder. I didn't you guys look into it. And they're like, oh, we did. <laughs> so like, and, you know, they said they like talked to a doctor and, you know, looked into it. And, and they were like, we it basically came down to, you know, they got the sense that the way I was relating to food felt like I had lots of permission to eat. There wasn't like, besides like the um, vegetarianism and I was a lacto-avo vegetarian. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I there was lots of choices still. And, you know, I, it wasn't that I was, um, I didn't appear to be restricting and, mm-hmm. and my body was in a state of health, they thought. So, you know, anyway, so they, wow. they decided they weren't going to worry about it. But that's great that they that they looked into it, too. They did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I, I asked them probably like five years ago, <laughs> you know, <laughs> why did you ever like look into it? And mm-hmm. they're like, yeah, we did. It's, you know, now I'm a parent and I'm like, oh, I get, you know, there were so many things that go on behind the scenes when you're a parent that you mm-hmm. never tell your kids. <laughs> and that was, that was one of them. Yeah. But, um, oh, yeah. But when I was um, experimenting with this vegetarianism, um, I did start to look into like 
the science and nutrition. And I thought it was kind of interesting. But then I started to look into colleges and I really was not that into nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought it was kind of useful and just to make sure that I had some choices at meals so I wasn't hungry, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but but because uh, that was really the only like um, need to do that in my mind at that point. Right. But um, the other the thing about it, I, re- I really was into like psychology, philosophy, art. I have this like really strong feminist streak in me. And so I was really interested in that type of way of thinking and learning more about it. Mm-hmm. And I think my parents, you know, as they were guiding my choices, they really were concerned I wouldn't find a job like looking mm-hmm. into careers with that, which it's really silly. And I, there was a lot of um, angst that I had. And so I was like, fine, I'll just pick a major. And I opened up the catalog and pointed nutrition. I was like, I'll just study that. Mm. <laughs> they were like, okay, then you'll find a job. And it, yeah. it's so random. And in the end, it's really cool because basically I did this degree in nutrition and I found that I really enjoyed science. Um, I wasn't that great at it, but I enjoyed learning it. And there's a side of nutrition that has a lot of behavior and counseling theories, uh, feminism. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's like lots of really interesting sides of nutrition that I basically gravitated towards that fulfilled that need and and helped me to like make a niche. You know, I definitely am a different voice because of my upbringing. I feel like I had this different experience. And um, so I gravitated eventually to more of a counseling side anyway. Mm hmm. That's awesome. I know. I think it is kind of awesome that nutrition has all these different facets to it. And Mm. it's sort of disturbing to me sometimes to see the facet that's like the more mainstream, the the weight loss kind of, you know, oriented nutrition. But there really is this room and space for like, you know, the sociological side and the sort of social justice issues with body and food to kind of come through as well. The social justice side is the the part of nutrition that I felt really drawn to mm-hmm. and I found really interesting and I wanted to know more about. Yet I found that most of the conversations were didactic and had like all this dichotomy, you know, eat this, not that. Mm-hmm. And I just felt so weird um, because I just had no interest in it and I didn't do that myself. And so I remember thinking, you know, I'm, I don't think I'll really be a dietitian or be a successful mm-hmm. one. I think it'll just be I don't know, like a brief moment. And then I'll go back to school and become a therapist or something Mm. like that. And yeah, so again, it worked out fine. So I'm excited. Yeah. And the thing that's really cool is, of course, there's a lot of us who have this similar experience, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and I think it's important to have that different voice because food is not a dichotomy. Exactly. Yeah, such a great point. And it is, I think, pretty normal for people to be frustrated with the profession and the training at some point. Like I know I went back to school after after working full time for six years. So I was like the old student in my graduate program and and I had to take a lot of, you know, nutrition kind of basic classes to catch up, prerequisites and stuff. And so I definitely was, you know, had some feelings about that and was, you know, wasn't very psyched to go to class every day and, you know, kind of considered dropping out several times. And then when the internship came around, I also considered dropping out several times because I was like, this is crazy to not be getting paid at, you know, age 31 or whatever it is like <laughs> for at living in New York City where expenses were very high. And like, I was just like, I can't do this. This is insane. How can they expect people to 
to work for free, you know, but so like I had all these feelings about that. And then as I discovered health at every size, I had all these feelings about like what I had learned in class and the sort of emphasis on weight loss. So I'm really grateful that I did ultimately get through because there are so many places where I was like, I should just give up. I should turn back. Like, Mm -hmm. but now, you know, being on the other side of it, it's like cool to discover other dietitians who went through similar things and who are also like, completely, you know, against the mainstream or outside the mainstream on like a lot of issues that that mm-hmm. I don't agree with. So Right. We're not as abnormal. And also I'm really excited because I'm getting the the idea or I'm getting like the message now that um, health at every size and weight neutral types of approaches are being discussed more frequently now in the undergraduate mm-hmm. programs. And and maybe that's just where I am, but you know, I there's a, a university close to to where I live and it's where I did my internship and my grad degree too. Mm-hmm. And I always, at least like once or twice a year, I, I speak to one of their classes on eating disorders and I always infuse weight stigma, weight oppression, those types of ideas in it. And um, what I've noticed is um, when I talk to students who are a few years after that class, mm-hmm. they'll mention other um teachers and professors are starting to teach them about health at every size mm. or teach them about weight discrimination. And that makes me so happy. That's <laughs> I remember, exciting. Like, yeah. And even a couple people there who are teaching would identify as health at every size and their, and their way of experiencing food and body. And I mean, I just, I almost cried. I was so happy because oh. I feel like that is something that is going to be so beneficial for the entire like population. But also I, I feel like this like need to protect our young dietitians to be, you know, Mm -hmm. I feel like there's such a like, it's a really risky profession to go into because um, it does like provide this information in our brain that we don't necessarily, I don't feel like we need to have all that information about food in our brain in order to navigate it in a healthy way. And so it just provides this protection, especially for people who want to work in health who are not in conventionally accepted body sizes or shapes or abilities. I feel like it just opens up the possibility that, you know, hey, yeah, you can be an included too. And you provide a voice that we need yes. because of experience. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's so true that like, you know, people can be in all different body shapes and convey useful information about food and nutrition mm-hmm. and like actually, you know, connecting with patients in larger bodies by like, I, I mean, I think it would be so healing and helpful to have a dietitian who is in a larger body mm-hmm. if you were also in a larger body and struggling mm-hmm. with, you know, food issues. Mm-hmm. I agree. Someone can really empathize with you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It'll only make our profession stronger. Yeah. 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 So, mm-hmm. you know, you had this experience, like going back to your your college um, experience, like you you went through and kind of just thought, okay, I'll just do this nutrition degree and then move on. And then I know you did at one point go to get your master's in counseling psychology, mm-hmm. right? So was that right after school or? So I did my internship. Um, I worked for three years mm-hmm. and I worked in many different areas. And in, in particular, I, I worked in pediatrics and I worked in um, clinics that were like the specialty clinics for pediatrics. So um, 
like GI and renal and mm-hmm. diabetes. And um, so I, all those like subspecialty type of pediatricians, um, I was their dietitian and it was really mm-hmm. fun, but it's also where I started working with fat children. And um, I working with children in this body size that was, it's, 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 it seemed to really come to light to me how much they were discriminated against mm-hmm. and um, how poorly they were treated in their families Um in their just in their community and i also started to see in like medicine how um not necessarily the doctors i worked with but just like some subtle type of nuances that really in the end ended up being um really uh, oppressive to people Mm -hmm. um especially these younger kids and I didn't really have a health at every size approach at that time, but Mm -hmm. it led me to just start making some important questions of like, or questioning some assumptions, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and so as I started asking all these questions and no one had the answers or I kept getting like, well, they're just not being compliant or they choose this. Mm -hmm. Um, So, um, and I didn't really like those answers because I was like, how can every single person, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) I mean, at one point we have to, at some point we have to like, ask ourselves maybe we're doing it wrong Mm -hmm. and um so that's when I looked into a degree in counseling and so my grad degree is in mental health counseling with a a youth um I think it's like a family and youth focus Mm -hmm. and um I was just I had no idea but you know I live in Greensboro North Carolina and the the um second highest ranked counseling program in the country it was like literally like a half a mile from my house I didn't I know (laughs) So I applied to it without even knowing it. I got in and now I'm like, wait, how did I get in? Mm-hmm. Um, just, it was amazing. It was so great. And so I really got to um, have a better understanding of like family dynamics and of course, like personal uh, mental health. And mm-hmm. it, counseling is really cool compared. I mean, uh, there's like different types of, of helping professionals, of course, like there's social work, there's psychology and counseling the way that um they're kind of like how they they're different as they are a strength based approach and they tend to not necessarily be like a medical model, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, more of a bigger picture. And, um, that definitely fit my, my own noggin, you know, that's something mm-hmm. that fit my personality. And, um, so, um, you know, at that point I was like, after I finished that, then I, I got a job again as a dietitian because I was like, I, I don't think I want to be a therapist. I think I really want to go back to this food thing. Mm. Um, and then that's when I started working with eating disorders. And, um, you know, something I don't know if your listeners would appreciate, but like that's when I basically had the turning point for me. What because um, up until this point, I was still helping people lose weight because mm-hmm. um, I think I, remember I, looked, I looked through some of my old like. Um, papers in grad school, you know, I was kind of like trying to get rid of some stuff. And mm-hmm. I found one where it was like, you know, helping or using motivational interviewing to um, help adolescent girls lose weight or something. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, and I was like, oh, I can't believe I did that. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe I typed 20 pages oh. on this. Um, oh. Yeah. And so, you know, I, when I got this first job out of grad school, um, it was really, it, it was cool because I was able to help people cope with some chronic conditions and I was working with uh, larger children and their families and um, and then also working with eating disorders. But then this like one part of the job that they needed filled in order to hire me and for me to get a job, which I really needed at this point, mm-hmm. 
was I had to help people with who had gone through gastric bypass or who are about to go through gastric bypass and then also work with their liquid diet program. And, um, you know, it's something that I really regret, but I also realized that it's the part that, um, helped change me because I would sit with clients who were in the throes of binge eating disorder and, I would be wanting to like help them to heal the relationship with food. And I found uh, that using permission was something that was really helpful. And I was seeing clients binge less and their like health was improving. And then I would, so I talked to someone about that and then I'd go and teach a class with this like, this crazy like restrictive program and Mm -hmm. um and i was was like i'm such a hypocrite like what the Mm -hmm. heck's going on here and so i remember um cognitive dissonance yeah yeah and that's why i'm like i'm very thankful for it Mm -hmm. and i still feel that shame for like teaching that but you know it also turning point yeah Yeah. i think everyone in the dietetics profession goes through that you know like i've Mm -hmm. completely done the same thing i i really didn't realize like how in conflict it was to teach people, you know, people who quote unquote needed to lose weight, um, Mm -hmm. how to, you know, like not how to lose weight, but how to diet or how to yo-yo basically, because we don't Mm -hmm. actually know how to help, help quote unquote people lose weight long-term. But, you know, I do that with the, the larger patients. And then I, you know, started working with eating disorders and was like, oh, but these people can't lose weight. These people can't do these same things, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that I'm teaching the larger patients. And I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on? Like, how can you, how can Mm -hmm. you have different rules for one population or another, especially seeing pretty much the same kind of manifestations in the people with larger bodies, like the same eating pathologies, the same eating disorder tendencies, right? Like, and so it just kind of dawned on me, but it was like, definitely took years of, you know, sort of trying to do both. And, um, and I, I do regret, you know, some of the advice I gave early on, but I also mm-hmm. feel like that had to happen to get to where I am now. So, right. Well, and hopefully like by you and I being so frank about it, it can prevent future healthcare providers from like going mm-hmm. down that road, you know? Yeah. Totally. Um, and yeah, and I, yeah, I, if, I, if the school, you know, if the sort of academic programs change too, then maybe people won't even have to like do rotations in places where they're going to be asked to make, you know, help clients lose weight, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And I'm, I'm really thankful, you know, thinking about that dissonance that it really, it's going to benefit like future generations for my family because mm-hmm. it has affected how I'm raising my children. It's affecting how, um, I interact with any client now and, um, mm-hmm. you know, how I approach any human being really, yeah. um, it has changed. So, um, I'm, yeah, I'm really grateful for it in the end. Um, I basically had to quit that job mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and, and start a practice way, way before I was ready to start a private practice. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it did keep me from ever having to do like put anyone on a diet again. So yeah. it's, it's been like 14 years, I think, since I've put someone on a diet. That's amazing. <laughs> so, I love it. So, yeah, it's really, I, I feel proud of that. Totally. Um, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good track record. <laughs> um, and how did you like start reading up on health at every size at that point? Or was there anything that, um, you know, sort of came into your awareness that helped you make the transition? I remember um, when I started to connect the, you know, why am I telling one group of people something and another group something different, even though they have so many similarities? Mm-hmm. Or even though like the people who are in the restrictive diet type of reason for seeing me, I would eventually see them and 
as a binge eating disorder client, mm. you know, and I was like, mm, something's not right here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember starting to look into like research of like, okay, so if I'm going to help someone lose weight, I need to find the stuff that's going to be the most health promoting long term, mm-hmm. you know, and what's going to actually work. And, you know, having that master's degree taught me how to really read research. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I started finding things that were like, yeah, basically, we just know every diet is not going to keep it off long term. We just don't know how fast it's going to be regained. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? like, okay, so, um, so then I think I, I, I think I went to the a Renfrew conference. Um, mm-hmm. And that's where I heard my first speaker on um, health at every size. And um, I was like, okay, there that this is, this is, this is me. This is what I need. And Mm -hmm. so I started to really read it into it. And, um, a book that also helped, um, I think this may have been right before that conference, um, is, uh, Susie Orbach's fat is a feminist issue. Oh yes. Game changer for me. Yeah. That's awesome. I haven't read that one yet. It's, it's a classic in this field, but it's been, yeah, it really pisses you off. It it makes you so angry Mm -hmm. and Need it um, as women, we need to be really pissed that we're spending so much brain space on our abdomen, you know. Yes. And, and I'm 41, so like mm-hmm. I'm starting to wrinkle and you know things like that, sag, and I'm like, mm-hmm. and it's so same thing that I'm like, why am I spending so much headspace on worrying about wrinkling? You know, right. um, I could be like writing a book, or I could be doing so many other things yes. right now. And so that's what fat is a feminist issue. Again, it's one of those things that I feel like has helped me. Um, I, I feel like it's helping me raise my children in a way that I would prefer them to like experience their bodies and um, to hopefully make a better culture for them. That's fantastic. I love that. I'm gonna. I'm definitely gonna check that book out. The one that really um, got me on that same kind of. Uh, path was um, the beauty myth by Naomi Wolf. It's like a similar mm. sort of. It um, is message, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I have that one as well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was read like soon thereafter. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's funny because that I mean, it's it's so interesting how feminism sort of finds you when you're ready for it. And like, I had the experience of actually reading the beauty myth in college before I developed an eating disorder. And it didn't clearly, you know, keep me from developing an eating disorder. But then after I recovered, I read it again and was like, right, like, this is this is what's going to keep me on the path. You know, this mm-hmm. is this is what we all need to know about, you know beauty is really sold to women as like an oppressive, um, it's, it's just a, a tool of oppression, basically. And it's a way of keeping women focused on stuff other than all the amazing things we could be accomplishing. So yeah, and I think there's so much hope and strength and empowerment for um, for men and women in studying a feminism. I think it's mm-hmm. something that's really um, can strengthen recovery and culture. And it stinks that feminism first I feel like for younger folks when I say younger folks I mean like under <laughs> under 30 probably I don't mm-hmm. know um, younger than me um, it tends to have this vibe of like oh it's just angry and mm-hmm. uh, I try really gently to like um, not be so um, abrasive back because mm-hmm. I'm like okay this is a moment where I can really <laughs> help um, um, open up the idea of feminism and I feel like you know as women we are taught to not really feel anger. Mm -hmm. And so when you finally have permission to feel angry, you're going to feel angry. And I feel like there's so much healing in that anger. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
yeah and and, and there's you're not angry the whole time it's like right. no we're just we're just reclaiming and sometimes anger is part of that um totally. yeah yeah, yeah it, so. it comes and goes if you sort of allow yourself to feel it and not squelch it or mm-hmm. try to you know make it like shame yourself for having it it will mm-hmm. really pass and then mm-hmm. and it's motivating it's so motivating i think right and yeah if you can you know keep the anger focused on the sort of larger cultural issues i think probably where it gets tricky for people and what i've seen be a, a tricky moment is like where the anger is turned on um yourself for buying into it or for mm-hmm. or, or towards your family for you know stuff that they did to sort of buy into it and it's like that's a that's a tougher thing to navigate because obviously there's lots of pain there too and mm-hmm. um sort of wanting to to repair and restore a relationship whereas mm-hmm. you know anger towards the sort of system that we're in. I mean, I have no desire to repair my relationship with the beauty industry or <laughs> advertising. <you know? laughs> yeah. Like I'm done. Yeah. I'm just No. No. <laughs> we are done with them. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you know, I have a, a son and a daughter and mm. um something my, my daughter's the older of the two. And um so, you know, when I started to raise her, I was like, totally she's gonna totally be a feminist. And I remember she mm-hmm. was like three years old, we're driving down the road and um, she saw Burger King and she was like, mommy, um, there's Burger King, but where's Burger Queen? And I was like, girl, <gasps> oh, keep asking yeah. those questions. <laughs> and, uh, That's so awesome. now, but then I was starting my son, you know, as he was like getting older and I was like, wait, I need to teach him the same thing, mm. you know? And, um, I want him to also be a feminist and, um, we were reading some book. He likes Batman right now. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, mommy, where's Wonder Woman? Why is it Wonder Woman in the book? Oh. And I'm like, yes. Keep <laughs> <these> questions. <laughs> That's so cool. So, yeah. Because I feel like um, that is something, you know, with body image and relating to food, you know, the more that that can become those questions can be asked. I feel like it is something that's going to help those um, concerns, you know, I think it's going to help those not be so all consuming, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Do you have any like tips or advice for people on, you know, raising children to have a good relationship with their body? Cause I get asked that a lot. Um, yeah. And it's interesting because, um, you know, when my, my oldest was starting to eat like solid food, I remember rereading Ellen Satter's books, Mm. (laughs) even though I was like, people, make appointments with me, pay me money to <laughs> teach them stuff. And I'm having to reread the book. Right. It's just because I, I didn't trust myself, you know. Mm-hmm. And when um, it's your own kids, it's probably a lot harder to trust yourself. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it brought up a lot of like perfectionism and and fear and doubt. And, you know, all the, mm-hmm. that's what motherhood has done for me is brought those to my attention. Yeah. And, um, you know, so that's been really interesting, but then also like the real life type stuff has, especially as my daughter's getting older, mm-hmm. um, you know, because I, when I introduced food and body to my children, it was introduced in a really positive and neutral way. Um, just like how I was brought up, but even more intentionally, like, um, I remember teaching my kids, you know, um, our tummies hold our energy, Mm. Um, let's be thankful that they hold our energy. Um, cause I was like, well, if they end up having a big tummy, I, you know, like I was, I want them to have something arm, like an armor to like, well, yeah. you know, my tummy 
my energy. So like, I want to be thankful for that and, and, and to like kind of combat some message that they may eventually get. Mm-hmm. That's and, um, um, but then, you know, when my, my daughter went, started going to, I think in maybe kindergarten, she was like, mommy, you told me fat wasn't a bad word, but so-and-so just got in trouble for calling someone fat. Mm. Ah, crap. <laughs> so, so, you know, um, so it began, you know, and then so yeah. I started, so now I'm kind of playing around with, um, with my daughter being, um, school age. I, you know, I'm like, well, in our family, we, um, believe that, you know, all bodies are important and all bodies are equal. Mm-hmm. And in some families, they don't believe that. And, mm-hmm. um, we and I'm like, <laughs> mommy and daddy really think that's wrong, <laughs> you know. So I've had to like start this conversation, almost like how I would about race, or religion, uh, right. gender identity, any of those things. I think um, size has just become a part of the conversation too mm-hmm. in our house. And um, so I'm playing around with that right now to see. Like, <laughs> fingers crossed. I hope that is something that ends up helping her to have um, a relationship with her own body. You know, that is um, feels. Like, so she feels comfortable in it. And then also that she doesn't contribute to oppressing other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my my daughter, um, she'll probably have a similar body size to me. Mm-hmm. And um, my daughter's only eight. So she'll probably be excited to hear I'm talking about her on a podcast. But 10 years from now, she may be like horrified. <laughs> so sorry. Than, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and my son, my son is, um, he's not quite four, but mm-hmm. um, we ended up... Um, he is not biological. We adopted him. Mm. And so his body size, I'm not sure what he's going to look like. And so um, it's going to be really interesting to see what that is like um, because, you know, I've, I've always lived in a smaller body. So mm. um, if someone in my family is not, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm hopeful that I'm able to provide them what they need in order to feel comfortable in their own skin, you know, whatever yeah. skin that is, you know. Well, he's so lucky that you're thinking about that too, you know, because I think Thanks. it can it can definitely be um, challenging to to notice that you're different than everybody else if that happens, and you know, and to not have sort of a discussion around it or awareness mm-hmm. of it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, it's uh, I can't imagine. I'm I don't have kids at this point, but I I think about it sometimes, and I'm like what a world to have to raise children in, you know, like it's, it, there's so much to navigate. And especially when you have, you know, when you know what we know about uh, the sort mm-hmm. of prevailing cultures, um, misguided views on body size and, you know, feminist issues and, and beauty and all that, like, how do you navigate that successfully with children who are so impressionable and, and can easily sort of be influenced by that stuff? So. Yeah, yeah, I, I, it's scary. And I, I feel like when my daughter was six and seven, I felt really, really scared because mm. I basically had to just like so wait and see. And I feel like that's there's so many other things that you do that with anyway. Mm. And just kind of being hopeful like that I prepared her enough. And now, um, I don't know, and maybe just even like psychologically, we're, we're experiencing our own individualization, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, so she's our own person. And, um, I'm here to support her when she needs it. And she needs to like fall on her face sometimes. Mm -hmm. And um, hopefully she can come to me when she needs it. And um, I was really frightened about the messages she would get about food in her body. But now, you know, she kind of like 
tattles on people who (laughs) (laughs) like she'll come over and be like so-and-so said this about french fries or something Mm -hmm. and so um i'm kind of getting the message that she heard what i said you know and i I'll just have to wait and see, though, if it helps long term, you know. <laughs> so, totally. Well, and also, yeah. I think there's the the thing of modeling, too, you know, because kids pick up so much on what mm-hmm. you do, not just what you say. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure she's yeah. probably picking up on how you live your life so. as well and how you relate to people yeah. with size and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, I hope so. I yeah. do. That would make me really happy if my children didn't contribute to, like, any kind of um, weight oppression, you know, totally. or even be like people that would fight against it. That would make yeah. me really proud. That would yeah. be amazing. Mm-hmm. I know. And I hope that, you know, the next generation has more and more people like that. Mm-hmm. I think I think it is, you know, once you start to really see the parallels between uh, size discrimination and, you know, gender discrimination, race discrimination, uh, sexuality and gender and uh, sexual orientation discrimination, all that stuff, it's like... Mm-hmm easy to see that you know this this is an issue that needs attention as well yeah like any at, at the very least i'm like let's have just some language about it mm-hmm. <laughs> like, let's talk about it and not just like put it under the rug right just like oh it doesn't really exist totally. you know yeah it does. i know mm-hmm. and i think it's it's interesting too how like you know, people of all sizes can be affected by it. And like, I definitely had the experience in my family where everyone was, you know, genetically thin, but terrified of becoming fat, even though Mm -hmm. that wasn't in our DNA. Like, I just don't think anyone was going to actually be in a fat body in my family. But like, there was so much language and concern around it. And, you know, so much policing of like, food intake and and all that stuff. So I think it's, it's, you know, I've really seen how like, even being a person, not of size, that, you know, size discrimination has affected me. And, you know, the, the society's messaging about size is part of what set me up for an eating disorder. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that fear of weight gain is like, we all are scared of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everybody is made to be scared of it, which Mm -hmm. really sucks when you're a larger person. Like I think Lindy West said in her book, um, Shrill, that, you know, the war on obesity was like a a war on people who look like her or a war on, Mm -hmm. you know, like Mm -hmm. nobody wants to end up looking like her. And it's like, how, how crappy does that feel? You know? Right. Everybody's like, oh, I don't want to ever look like you. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like th- that um, a fat body is like the worst thing a person can become. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that 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 is something that it's still like, oh, I can feel it in my like viscerally right now. Just even saying yeah. it like that just is so wrong. I so know. wrong. Yeah. I know. Mm-hmm. And it's so like culturally conditioned too. I mean, it's mm-hmm. fascinating to look at art from previous centuries and see that fat bodies were actually celebrated and, you know, curvier mm-hmm. women were considered the the standard of beauty. And, you know, how did it become that this unattainable body size is the standard of beauty for women? And, you know, it's it's literally thinner than 95% of the population could ever yeah. be. Yeah. Right. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. And it's, um, and, you know, looking back at the earlier artwork, you know, that was the natural kind of like shape and size of a woman. And, um, and it was an adult woman, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't like a prepubescent, um, right. or teenager or, you know, or 20 year old, it was like a woman. And, um, and that and that was celebrated, and that was what was natural. And um, I went to um, 
a Native American festival in mm. North Carolina not too long ago. Maybe it was like in the last year. And this, they had this, oh, I hope I can explain this right. They had um, some kind of like circle dance, I think they called it. And um, it was really neat because the person who was talking about it before they did the dance was saying, you know, circles in their, um, in their group, they were saying it was, it was so symbolic for um, so many just things in their culture and in their life. And so he named all these things like the earth and, and all these other things. And he's like, and, and my mother's stomach. And I was like, oh, and the way it was like, he said it in such a like warm, endearing way. And I'm like, oh, that is what we need more of. You know? yes. And um, it was so beautiful. Yeah. And um, that is, I wish we had more lovely. of that. I do too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It reminds me of, um, I just saw Margot Main speak at a couple conferences this year about, um, you know, women's issues in midlife and eating disorders in midlife and how eating disorders are really affecting women, like such an older age than is sort of traditionally Mm -hmm. associated with eating disorders. Like it it lasts until people are in their eighties or nineties. Like some Mm -hmm. women are, you know, go to the grave still having an eating disorder. So like this is, you know, in their nineties, I mean, um, and she was saying that, you know, in certain, um, native American cultures that there's, uh, uh, festival or celebration for all these different stages of women's life. And like, you know, when you first get your period and when you have a baby and when you go through menopause and like that all of these phases of a woman's life are marked with some kind of ceremony. And I thought that was so beautiful because mm-hmm. it's, it's really, you know, <laughs> counter to what we experience in our culture, which is like, you know, if you go, when you go through puberty and you naturally put on weight as women have to, to be able to menstruate and have, you know, an adult Mm -hmm. body, it's like, that is, that's where most, you know, a lot of women, um, start to freak out about their size and try to change it. And then if if it doesn't catch you then, then it maybe it catches you later when you have a baby, you know, or Mm -hmm. comes back and, and, you know, um, makes you have some, qualms about your body again at that point right because losing the baby weight is like this huge thing it it is it is a huge thing unfortunately um yeah and um i think yeah the aging process in general i feel like that's one of the the areas that is is like when you're talking about Margot main and her Mm -hmm. um experience with women in midlife and eating disorders you know it's a really interesting kind of experience because menopause and its fluctuation in estrogen is really similar to like mm-hmm. puberty and like estrogen carries fat and or not carries fat, but there's like this relationship. And, mm-hmm. and so there's going to be fluctuations and changes. And, um, and so it's, it makes sense that there's, if there's a big change that, you know, if culturally that's not something that feels comfortable mm-hmm. that women would look inward. And I remember watching, um, I'm totally shamefully uh, mm. fitting that <laughs> I was watching a Real Housewives program. Ah. And, <laughs> and, uh, one it's of like the, a cultural experiment. <laughs> hush, hush. I don't really watch this, but I do. <laughs> I know I'm not the only one. Oh, yeah. Um, there was a woman who was going through menopause and she was talking about how like she's going to like fight her body to like mm. look like she did before menopause. And um. I told you earlier, I'm 41. So like, mm-hmm. it's like 10 years away, probably for me. And, and I have noticed like every 10 years or so, my body goes through changes. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, and every time it's kind of, it's hard, you know, because I'm like, well, I could like, f- quote unquote, fight it and 
right. Botox and do all this stuff. And, and then I'm like, well, no, I, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't, I really don't want to do that. Cause I yeah. feel like my body has an intention and I want to respect it and I have to be okay with not always liking it, mm-hmm. but I always want to respect it. And so, um, yeah, when I saw that on the housewives, I was like, it just kind of like, it, it, it was so, it, it showed me why I don't want to do it because it just seemed yeah. like it was taking so much time and um, it was so obviously to me um, not health promoting as well, you know, totally. and, and distracting from really, you know, if, you know, if I go through menopause in my early fifties, which I'm assuming I will, mm-hmm. um, that's how most of the women in my family experience it. I mean, I may have like 50 more years <laughs> to right. live. And to like do some kick-ass things, you know? So mm-hmm. um, if I'm going to be like having to be at the gym all day, that just sounds like a buzzkill. So totally. I don't want to do that. Yeah. That's that's a really wonderful um, perspective to have on it too. It's like it literally could be 50 more years. You could be halfway through your life when you go through mm-hmm. menopause. So like, yeah. are you going to waste yeah. half your life with body hatred and, you know, fighting something that is natural? Because also in that Margot Main talk, she talks about how, um, you know, the belly fat that starts to mm-hmm. come on when you go through menopause is a life preserver. She calls it your life preserver because mm-hmm. that actually helps reduce the effects of menopause because that extra little fat deposit um, produces or retains estrogen and helps mm-hmm. keep you from going through as many hot flashes and things like that. So yeah, people who, you know, fight against their body and try to lose that weight usually end up having worse menopauses than if you could, you know, sort of accept it and allow that to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I feel like the message I get in the health industry is that gaining weight when we get older is bad. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm like, well, it's really interesting because research I'm reading is not saying that, you know, and I'm like, so how, how can we change that? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, cause I mean, and, and I'm not just saying it like just in research, but even in my own experience too, I'm like, I feel like I'm healthier the more I weigh Mm -hmm. and the more I let my body do what it wants to do. And so, um, you know, what, what, what's up with that? I just feel totally. like, and I feel like that is something that, um, you know, I have my conspiracy theory with, you know, I'm like, well, there's industries involved in this mm-hmm. and there's, um, people who benefit from the body hate message and they would be out of a job if we didn't hate ourselves. So exactly. Yeah. yeah. No. And it's so true. Like the, the research shows for mortality, right. That people are, um, actually healthier when they weigh more, at, at, you know, older ages. I mean, really across the board, it's like the quote unquote overweight category has the lowest mortality risk. But then especially as you get older, it's like the the mortality goes up for the supposedly normal and mm-hmm. definitely underweight um, categories, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think the menopause one is one that I would like to be I would like more people to talk about that. Like just mm-hmm. said, like it's, it is health promoting to gain weight then. Totally. Um, I think it would be such a free message for women to hear. I don't know if they would be willing to like, let, because I know that a lot of people think that means you're letting yourself go. And mm-hmm. I, it's not, it's not this black and white experience. You know, it's right. just like, no, you're just letting yourself be, you know, you're totally. just not fighting anymore. Um, yeah, yeah. So letting yourself be and letting yourself mm-hmm. and letting your body help you be at your healthiest. Mm-hmm. Cause that mm-hmm. really is what's natural at that stage of life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like let your body do what it needs to do. Totally. Uh, no, mm-hmm. aging is such a, such an important topic. It's like, 
it's it's tough for everyone, you know, and I've, I've done so much work on body acceptance and, um, you know, recovered from an eating disorder, but I'll be 35 in a month. And, I'm you know, the number is definitely sort of weighing on my mind, like, mm-hmm. which is so silly because literally the only thing about turning 35 is like you age out of the advertising demographic that's the most <laughs> valued. And like, that actually is probably a good thing. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't want to be constantly marketed to. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's and and I definitely know that there are some big body changes ahead of me in my life because that's what happens to all of us. And so, you know, like you just have to be comfortable with that or accepting of that, I guess, even if you're not um, excited about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, in 35, I always think of because all my struggles with infer- infertility, mm-hmm. 35 was like advanced maternal age. And it was yeah. like, alert, alert. <laughs> You're not gonna be able to like easily get pregnant. Yeah, um, that is a little yeah. on my mind these days, too. It's mm-hmm. like, which, you know, I live in New York City, where 35 is kind of like 25, like people don't really mm-hmm. don't really start doing that until later but you know it's like okay well how does that square with biology or mm-hmm. what's my biology going to have in store cuz not everybody's the same with that i know that you know in my family like the women have had kids very late like my mom mm-hmm. had me when she was 37 my sister when she was 41 and her mm-hmm. mom had her when she was 44 so it's like you know there's wow. this, and i think the i think my great or whatever it was great great grandmother had also had kids into her 40s so cool like I've always had this idea that like oh that'll be possible for me I don't have to worry but then as this messaging about advanced maternal age (laughs) sort of is in my ear I'm like wait do I have to worry do I should I freeze my eggs like you know Mm -hmm. this whole industry questions Well, you must have great ovarian reserve. I hope <laughs> so. They call it. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, one thing that I noticed, because, um, you know, I, I went through years and years of infertility mm-hmm. and, um, you know, so from like 2006 through 2011, mm-hmm. every year, every year I was pregnant, but I only brought home one baby. So I had lots wow. of miscarriages. And one, the, um, when I, my daughter, Karina, she's the one that I had. And, um, you know, the thing that, I ended up changing that was a little different at that time, um, kind of thinking about like food beliefs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that I had a hard time, because I kind of learned in my nutrition career to, to consume low-fat dairy, mm. um, and I married someone who was used to drinking whole milk. And so <laughs> I always, I had my skim milk and he had his whole milk. Oh, wow. And um, and at, this, at the beginning, I, I mean, I was, I was definitely like, totally into intuitive eating and haze and, and at this time. And, and I was like, well, wait, why am I buying two different milks? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, you know, is it because I only like skim milk or is it because I think I should only have that? Mm-hmm. And once I switched over to whole milk and I guess this is totally, you know, anecdotal research here, but that's <laughs> when I was able to like successfully carry a baby full term was when I switched to whole milk. I'm like, who knew? I'm like, that's kind of interesting. Um, Because I definitely have some like hormonal um, abnormalities. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when we consume fat, it's something that connects to our hormones. So like, Mm -hmm. I was like, that's kind of cool. And um, it really made me like, immerse myself and really in my heart connect to like, you know, food is like, we don't have to mess around with it. You know, mm-hmm. we can just have the regular thing. So I mm-hmm. love that. That's, that's mm-hmm. a really cool experience to have. Yeah. 
I definitely went through some of that too with intuitive eating where like I was, you know, for probably seven years now, I've been doing some form of intuitive eating. But, you know, at the beginning, it was like intuitive eating within this this sort of set of foods that I was just used to. And like, I guess were sort of safe, you know, just like they were Mm -hmm. foods that I liked. And then I sort of was on autopilot to get at the grocery store. And so I just did that and was like, fine with it. But then, you know, there are a couple of moments where I was like, why am I always eating the same thing for breakfast? Can't could I just eat something different and see um, Mm -hmm. how that goes? And oh, I actually remember that I really like this kind of cereal or this kind of, you know, oatmeal or whatever it is. And suddenly my repertoire was so expanded. And I was like, wow, I just sort of unconsciously was stuck there on this, this one breakfast that wasn't, you know, that exciting. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's it's cool to see how it evolves over time, you know? Yeah, yeah. And maybe those steps represent also like a greater level of body kindness and body acceptance too. You know, I think yes, it's like when, cause it, like with the milk thing for you, it's like definitely the the fat could play a role, but also maybe like the sort of mental shift of going that much deeper into intuitive eating and body kindness, you know, might've mm-hmm. opened something. Ooh, up. good point. Good right? point. Yeah. 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 I need to send you a bill. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> or send you out some money uh, for that one. I yeah, because uh, no, I'm not sending you a bill. I, you need to send uh, me a bill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, because that's true. I, yeah, that was definitely on my mind. Yeah, that yeah. I was like, because you know, the infertility journey is like it's really hard on your body. It's mm-hmm. it's something that um, it felt really like punishing to like inject yourself with shots oh, and yeah. yeah, it's 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 anybody who's experiencing that. I always want to just like give them the biggest hug because, um, it can be torture. And then you're also Mm -hmm. like dealing with this, like, will I ever have a baby? Well, you know, um, and then if you throw miscarriages in there, it's like, well, then there's these like deaths and, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it's like a really, really challenging time. And, um, for a lot of women, I know myself included, um, it's all, there's a lot of like, um, I know I, I blamed myself for it, you know, that, mm-hmm. or like maybe I'm just not supposed to have kids. And so it can definitely get to a point where there's a lot of body hatred. I know that's when I really experienced the, uh, like the highest, like the peak of, um, this far in my life of a negative body image where I really like had this like hatred and I really was like, Oh, my body's ugly. And, mm-hmm. um, and it, and, you know, I'm pretty lucky that I get to work in this field that kept me aware of um, my thoughts, mm-hmm. you know, and so I, I never got to a point where it was uh, affecting my like food choices or my movement, but it definitely kept me up at night and and, um, and it made me feel like a, a really crappy dietitian and, you know, mm-hmm. it made me feel like a hypocrite. Um, but, you know, it, it also, it brought this awareness of like, what's going on? You know, like, what do I, what do I really need? <laughs> you know? And, um, and so, you know, anyone experiencing infertility, I feel like it's really important to like, be aware of that part, you know, how it can sometimes go internal instead of like, okay, this is just a disease we're, tre- we're treating. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it can become something that's really, like, really personal because it did with me. Yeah. And I think that's such a great point about like, you know, body negativity, it it doesn't just take the form of feeling bad about the outside. I think sometimes mm-hmm. the subtler levels of body negativity that per- persist longer maybe are the ones that are sort of, you know, feeling angry at your body towards its limitations. Like, mm-hmm. um, Well, yeah. And I think um, 
you know, the, uh, the surface of it though was more of like, I didn't like the outside, mm. you know, it, it, it was very culturally typical. Like, I don't like how my butt looks in this kind of mm. thing <laughs> um, or my stomach looks like it's getting bigger. Um, but that's when I felt like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm really lucky that I have some tools here I could use. Because mm -hmm. when I hear those thoughts, like, you know, just circling my brain, I'm like, okay, what's going on? Yeah. Uh, and that's when I, I was able to connect. Okay. I, I feel like this stomach is useless. Like, I feel like, you know, it doesn't work. And so, um, that's what, it was like a symbol really. And I, yeah. and, um, you know, there was like a, this like direct connection, but, um, well, it's so yeah. interesting too that as women, like our brains are channeled down that path, right? I think it's mm -hmm. it's so culturally conditioned that like if you feel bad about yourself in some way, an easy route for that to go down, that sort of feeling to go down is your body. It's like I think yes. we, you know, so yes. many of us have just sort of unconsciously learned to take on negativity towards our bodies when we're feeling anxious, sad, depressed, you know, whatever, like mm -hmm. about something else in life. And I, it's like a yeah, it's a really, really, really big learned coping mechanism mm -hmm. <laughs> because it was uh, for like four or five years, my husband and I were like dealing with this really massive, like traumatic experience. And yeah. um, instead of like thinking and really like really thinking about what that meant and all those really like the sadness that we had to deal with and the grief, it was easier to be like, I don't like how my butt looks in these pants, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and just think about that instead is it's so much easier. And, yeah. um, and so I, I kind of, I, that's something that I started to appreciate years later was like, you know, that was something that helped me get through that really, really shitty time because it was really yeah. shitty. <laughs> and, um, and I wish that it, it didn't like it didn't come out that way. And, you know, I live in the same world that everyone else lives in. So I need to be kinder to myself about it. Totally. Yeah. And, and it, it's so true that it can be a, a useful coping me mechanism, actually. Mm -hmm. I sometimes mm -hmm. see clients who like once they get it and they're like, oh, my gosh, I've been so unkind to myself and my body. And I've bought into this cultural messaging about bodies and food. They'll feel really down on themselves when they do notice those thoughts. But it's like, well, mm -hmm. also, you're not broken. There's you're not yeah. like this yeah. isn't coming out of nowhere like this. A, you're part of this culture that tells you to do that. And B, also, like it, it has probably served a function for you and that's why you continue yeah. to do it like so let's look at what it what function it's actually serving you know to, mm -hmm. to be negative about your body and it's so true that it's a, a helpful distraction from mm -hmm. the the harder stuff that's going on well and I almost feel like it's like a a, a little blip or something that like mm -hmm. um if we're if we're trying to process something traumatic or something that's really really uncomfortable that our brain is kind of trying to protect us in a way mm -hmm. and so it try to makes this little blip to like skip over to this something that's like a little more surfacey. And so for me and what I teach my clients is like whenever I experience bad body thoughts or maybe um, if someone's experiencing something with like food restriction or mm -hmm. feeling the craving to do a behavior to like notice what's going on like right before that. Cause I feel like that there's lots of information there and um, you know, what do you really need? And so, you know, that's when, when I was like, like in the moment, trying about ready to inject myself with another bazillion <laughs> injection. I was like looking at my stomach and feeling this disdain. And I was like, wait, 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 what, what is going on right now? Like, um, obviously I'm injecting a 
something in my stomach and this really sucks. <laughs> and, and so I was, and, and, you know, it helped me really to get to like the root of it. And, mm-hmm. um, and so then we can choose, do we want to distract ourselves in a way that is probably better, like not, um, putting down our body, but distract ourselves with something else, like turn on a housewives program or something mm-hmm. or, <laughs> or, um, do we want to like meet our need, you know? And, so, um, totally. it's, yeah, we, and I feel like what we were talking about earlier with like feminism, we have to be careful that we don't, because sometimes when we get in the same flow that, um, we are against, you know, like mm-hmm. the beauty and stuff like that, um, that we don't feel shame or harbor that shame of like, oh, I got sucked into, um, because I, I cause I felt myself getting in that place. And that's mm-hmm. when I was like, that seems like a wasted energy for me there. I mean, I, I think we need to like just notice it and and be like we're we're human, you know. And right. so, yeah, yeah, we don't need to have that secondary emotion of like um, judging ourselves for it, right? Because that's just gonna like keep us in the same spot. And mm-hmm. and I feel like whenever we can like notice when we turn ourselves onto our body, like and use that as a tool, like that's our way of of acknowledging we need self care. Mm-hmm. And why not just use it for that, like? It's, it's instead of like a headache or something, or when we get sleepy, we need to go to sleep. You know, if we have these bad body thoughts, oh, okay, it must mean I need something. Totally. Yeah. I think once you can, once you can use it that way as sort of a harbinger of, you know, your body trying to tell you something or your, <laughs> yourself trying to tell you something, it, it transforms. Yeah. And I feel like there's, there's definitely limits, limits with that because, you know, I, I do feel like if, I have this like thin privilege. So like there's, there's parts that I'm not experiencing, but then um, people who are in larger bodies, you know, I do feel like a lot of it is also the culture. So Mm -hmm. we have to continue on that. But, um, but our, of course our messages in our brain though, is what I guess I'm trying to say. Right. Right. When the body negative messages in Mm -hmm. your brain come up, right. And it, yeah, it is such a whole separate thing when you experience an Mm -hmm. act of discrimination from, someone else or from a, you know, a system, it's, that's like a whole other level of shame. But I think it in, you know, the same way you can use that as maybe not a harbinger to, well, to do self care. Yes, because you need self care to recover from that stuff, you know, to recover from Mm -hmm. an act of discrimination or, um, you know, someone being mean to you for your size, that's not good. But, Mm -hmm. um, but also, you know, use that as a reminder to like, look to your community of supportive people, you know, to, to surround yourself with body positive people who are gonna be there for you when that stuff happens and lift you up and and remind you how fucked up it all is, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not you that's fucked up. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, I think that's why we need also more people in larger bodies in this space talking about this stuff. And there are, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many great people like Reagan Chastain and Virgie Tovar mm-hmm. and, you know, these amazing women and men mm-hmm. like, you know, talking about this stuff and, and really yeah. um, explaining size discrimination from, from that perspective. But mm-hmm. I think, you know, it, it happens unfortunately so much more to people in larger bodies and we have to change that. Right. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Oh. We just agree on I know. (laughs) It's so wonderful talking with you. I feel like I could talk to you forever. (laughs) I know. I know. Well, we are about out of time. So um, why don't you tell us where people can find you online? Sure. Well, I have a a podcast. It's the Love Food Podcast. Yes. And amazing. Oh, thank you. I love it. Uh, I love it too. And um, it's, uh, I have listeners write a question. um, And basically, I want people to write um, 
a letter to food and telling food about their complicated relationship with it. And um, me and food then write back. And sometimes I have a guest on and we discuss um, the eating dilemma and and how someone can feel um, just more at peace with food in their body. And um, so that's, it's called the Love Food Podcast. And then also on my website, juliedillonrd.com. And I have a free newsletter that I just send out every Tuesday and with lots of interesting things that are um, always um, body positive um, and um, weight neutral, anti-diet. You know, it, it's, it's something that um, for, without a doubt, it's, it's a safe place in that regards. I love it. Yeah. And we all Thanks. need more safe places. So people mm-hmm. should go check that out. Thanks. Yay. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, let me just pause this. This was so good. Yeah, thanks. So that's our show. Thanks again so much to our guest for being here and to you guys for listening. We'll be back again in two weeks with another brand new episode. So be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Android or whatever your favorite podcast app is if you haven't done so already. Meanwhile, I'd love to stay in touch with you online. The best way is by email. So if you join my email VIP list, you'll get exclusive tips about intuitive eating and body positivity and updates about all my work as well as new episodes of the podcast. So if you go to christyharrison.com slash email, you can sign up there. That's christyharrison.com slash email. And I would love to have you guys all on my VIP list. And then you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Food Psych on Facebook and Food Psych Pod on Twitter. I am also on Instagram, just me this time. I don't have a separate account for the podcast, but I'm on Instagram at Christy Harrison and the first I is a one. The music you're hearing behind me now is by a band called AWOL and the track is called Food, used under the Creative Commons license. Thanks again for listening and until next time, stay psyched. Stupid or scared, no work in the kitchen now. Who put you there in that perfect position now? Only's want your food and you ain't really beat. Have you ever